you have tuned into Surviving Fundamentalism, a podcast with Richie X, where if your God ain't bigger than your Bible, you most likely mm, probably will have a problem with this shit here. But it's okay. It's okay. Grab you a little wine for the stomach's sake. Tap in. Tune in. Let's have a good time. There is not one single thing that has ever happened to you or will happen to you that will be wasted. Everything is there showing up to make you more of who you were meant to be. Any day now, all I know is any day now, the Lord is gonna do just what he said. I don't know how, but all I know is any day now, all the Lord is gonna do just what he said. Hey y'all, it's me. I'm back. Gave you all a little, little solo rendition there of a song called Any Day Now by Professor Craig Hayes and the United Voices. Hailing out of Trent, New Jersey, uh, my hometown. I'm back again. I'm glad you're back with me. I'm glad we're back together again. I'm glad to be in your listening ears. Once again, this is Surviving Fundamentalism, the podcast where if your God ain't bigger than your Bible, then you most likely, no, you probably, no, you will have a problem with this shit. I am the Right Reverend Richie X, and I'm here to stir the people up on today, and I'm so glad to be here um, again I love you all so much for listening and and just going on this journey with me. If you've just started, if you've gone back, if you've come from uh, Reclaiming the Garden or uh, God is My Special Interest or just hearing about it, just searching up, you know, fundamentalism or deconstruction or whatever the case may be, uh, welcome. Uh by now, you're pretty accustomed to me and all of my things. Um, but I guess I will provide a little brief interju- inter- uh, introduction here. Um, I was, comp- I was <laughs> mixing introduction and, um, yeah, uh, something else, whatever. But uh, once again, I'm Richie X. I founded this podcast to help me navigate my deconstruction journey. And I just feel like there's a lot of information that I have and a lot of very interesting thoughts that I have that I I believe that other people who are going through the process of deconstructing their faith um, can benefit from. Because these are all of the things that I wish I could have heard somebody say. And so that's really essentially what I talk about here. Um, you know, 
I, I am a voice crying in the wilderness. Come on, somebody. Um, and so I just want to be that voice for whomever. Um, and there's probably so many different reasons why you listen. Um, yes, I'm queer. Yes, I'm non-binary. I'm wearing one of my favorite dresses right now. Um, and I am, so I'm queer. I'm non-binary. I'm black. I am formerly apostolic Pentecostal, currently Unitarian Universalist. And, um, what else? I'm also autistic and I also have ADHD and, um, yeah, obviously I'm a singer. Um, I'm a poet. I'm a writer. I currently have a newsletter called Just Above My Head. It's a newsletter um, which can be found at richieatitagain.substack.com. Um, I write about a lot of these same uh, intersections there. And I think that those writings can be um, particularly useful for people trying to navigate their own intersections, um, as well as trying to process a lot of what they feel surrounding their own disabilities. And so you can go over there, check me out there. I'm also found at Richie Added Again on uh, Instagram and Surviving Fundamentalism as well on Instagram. Uh, and with that said, uh, I'd like to get started on this week's show. It's been a while. Um, you know, I, I, I would love to, um, give you all an episode a week. (laughs) Um, always my intention. I've done it in the past, but, um, one of the things that I've been working on is being true to who I am and true to what I feel. And so what that means is that I don't push myself beyond my limitations to do what I don't have it in me to do. And so while that episode that I did with Anna in April from Reclaiming the Garden was a um, great episode, um, it was also... um, Uh, an episode that required a lot from me, you know, not to mention I do another podcast. Um, I do, you know, I do have a full-time government job. I also, uh, you know, write. And so in the midst of all of that, I've, you know, I'm going to therapy. I'm still having relationships with my friends. I'm still doing everything I need to do for my life to be balanced. And so what that means is that sometimes we don't get an episode that week, but I love you all so much for listening and continuing to return, um, even at your own pace. You know, I watch the numbers, not, you know, I watch them sporadically and I see how people file in, you know, not everybody is, you know, listening directly one, two, three, you know, like, but some people come back or, you know, and, and, you know, I see the people coming in and catching up and, and I just thank you so much for listening and and going on this journey with me. I hope you continue to enjoy the ride. Uh, but with that said, we have a great episode today. Um, 
this is something that's been sitting on my heart for a long, long, long time. It is very much a part of my message um, here. Um, so we have a lot of stuff um, to get through um, and a short time to get through it. But y'all know I don't need long. Come on, somebody. There's a reason this show is only an hour. Come on, somebody. We thank God. Okay? For good timing. So I'm going to start now with the deconstruction clip of the week. Um, which is uh, from a TikTok. And um, here we go. What's the biggest lie ever told to women and girls? That God is male. Well, that man was made somehow closer to God than women. Right, because that's the fundamental lie the whole patriarchy is based on. That God made man first and woman was just an afterthought because he was lonely. That a woman's whole purpose for existence is to be a glorified assistant. And even though it clearly states in the good book that God is not a man that he should lie, that God is a spirit, there are no male or female in Christ, some religious folk will propagate the idea that they're secondary citizens in heaven. Or on earth now, because remember, on earth as it is in heaven. And if that's the case, why is there more earthly evidence that women came before men? When you consider the oldest skeleton on earth was a black woman, when you consider how chromosomes work, I'm just saying now, y'all invest a whole lot of time in convincing the world that Eve was the reason for the fall of man. That's a whole lot of guilt. Same type of guilt to make a woman stay in an abusive relationship. Same type of guilt to make a woman think it's her fault for being sexually assaulted. Same type of guilt to make a woman want to marry any man she can now, because that's her covering. I think all of us, uh, specifically those of us who have come out of these, uh, this style of like fundamentalist uh, culture, you know, Western Christianity, this whole idea uh, where we we need uh, God to be male. We need a, um, we believe that we need a uh, nuclear uh, family. And a lot of this ideology has gotten us nowhere. Because many of us, particularly people of color, are communal people. And the thing that we know is that we need community. And um, and this idea of leaving and cleaving and isolating and demonizing and shaming women um, and making them believe that if they are ever to stand on their own, walk on their own, be too proud that they are uh, possessed with some spirit of Jezebel, you know? And, and I've recently, even uh, T.D. Jakes recently um, has been on the radar because he was preaching some misogynistic sermon about um, how it's important for women to make the men in their lives uh, feel needed. Um and calling women who don't do that, who don't make the men in their lives feel needed, um, uh, masculine or manly, 
Um, and he says, I know you can buy your own things. I know you're climbing the corporate ladder, but, 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 but where can you need me? And I just, all of it needs reframing, but there are too many intersections and the church as we know it does not have the range. It doesn't have the range because the church only wants to pretend to to have its finger on the pulse of 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 real issues. It doesn't want to actually have its finger on the pulse. It doesn't actually want to be doing the work required to dismantle the white supremacist capitalist male patriarchy because if it does then it is essentially aligning itself to dismantling its own institution. And so you have you can't you, you can't begin to rethink um the nature of God. You can't even do that because if you do uh dismantle these ideas that we have around a masculine God being, then essentially we will see the way that all the rest of the things in our society and culture um, begin to crumble. Because men essentially created God in their image and, and, and continue to seek after a God that is like them, to believe in a God that is like them, and to continue to perpetuate a gospel that in, in, in itself is really not at all about the God being they claim to worship, but really essentially is about them. It is not, they are not doing the work of revolution which means change. They are not doing the work to change. They're not doing the work to unroot. I talk about it every, every time I um, you know, get on over here. And, and I don't think that it's, it's, it's anything else that I need, I need to keep going on about. Um, but um, I, because I, I believe I, I, I've hit every mark, but I think it's imperative that, um, that we begin the process of dismantling um, our thought processes around these ideas of who our God is. And, 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 and I want to talk about this a little bit too. Uh, in this process, it's very difficult. If you are a true Bible-believing, scripture-quoting, Bible-toting uh, person like I was, it is very difficult to see yourself dismantling anything. Because the Bible, the text, was literally my autistic special interest. I assigned it so because it was my desire, my goal, my intentions for all of it to make sense in itself and it to make sense in application to my life. And so I spent an enormous amount of hours in that book. And so when you start it, when you start to, when somebody tell, tells you 
that you need to begin the process of deconstructing your faith and dismantling your 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 views of a masculine god you start to feel strange because you're like i can't do that because the scripture is written and i i don't get to change that and one thing about it that's beautiful is that no you don't get to change it but you don't need to change it it just it is but what you can do is examine the text as a scholar, as a genuine reader, with real factual information outside of the lens of faith. You know, one of the things you'll find if you, if you get um, um, a copy of the Torah and the prophets and the Psalms and the and, 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 in um, like a Jewish Bible kind of. And so when you get that, you'll see a lot of the notes that provide a lot of commentary that leads you to the progressive study of, 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 of the, the, the Judeo-Christian texts, right? And so we have um, these Jewish, Jewish uh, scholars who have... Um, rethought a lot of these ideas, giving historical context and re-examining the scriptures outside of the lens of our fundamentalist, uh, literalist ways. Um, I told you this way early on in this show, biblical literalism is heresy. It's a Gentile heresy. Literally. It is uneducated, um, unconnected people aligning and making a shit ton of comparisons and connections to a text they don't know, to a text they don't understand, and to a text that had not yet evolved. And so when we can re-examine this, we get to define how much of that is going to exist in our lives. And, um, and we also get to see the spirit, the energy behind a lot of the text that we learn to quote so diligently in defense of these things. And so when you start to see a lot of the energy behind it, it's different. Like, you're legit like, whoa, this is different. Um, once again, I'm going to I'm gonna tell you all. You can find it on Audible, but you can also find it in a hard copy. It's called um, Biblical Literalism uh, by uh, Bishop John Shelby Spall. Great book. Changed my life. Changed my life. Having reading the the text with jewish eyes and understanding so much more of the old testament through the lens of the people who wrote it <laughs> it is essential for navigating and deconstruction navigating and deconstructing your faith um, and determining what's going to work for you moving forward. And once you begin this process, 
There's a world of possibility. A world of possibility and a world of healing. You just have to allow yourself to to start. And you've got to start somewhere. You know? And so I'm going to break for commercial. And uh, when I come back, we're going to get started on our main topic for today. And I promise I won't be before you that long. Amen. Amen. grateful to be, have been loved and to be loved now and to be able to love because that liberates love liberates it doesn't just hold that's ego love liberates it's my purpose dare i say our collective purpose to convert that fear into love and to live out of that place of love for yourself and for others in a culture that teaches individualism and hatred to move in loving empathy is revolutionary in a society that shows so often that it does not love you to love yourself regardless in the words of alice walker that is revolutionary and it's one of my greatest hopes that your love be a revolution None of us were meant to be common. We were born to be comets, darting across space and time, leaving our mark as we crash into everything. A crater is a reminder that something amazing happened right here. Thank you so much for your patience sitting through the commercials hope you enjoy them you know i try to make my commercials enjoyable here so i hope it's it's doing its job hallelujah um but a topic that we're going to talk about today comes from a really interesting conversation that i saw on tiktok um where this you know fundamentalist Christian jumps in a comment section and she says, this is not holiness. Um, it's funny what, uh, I'm having an ADHD moment here. There used to be, uh, when I was leading worship, we'd say holiness, holiness is what I long for. Holiness. It's what I need. Gotta be holy. Holiness. Holiness. It's what I long for. Holiness. is what I need. Yeah. And so this woman is like. Yeah. This isn't holiness. And. It made me think of something I heard in church years ago, and I can't remember if I ever verified it. But yeah, some years ago, I heard this preacher, he was like breaking down how the concept of 
holy and love are essentially the same thing. Let's talk about it. So I don't want to like go into his thing because I don't remember it. And it was like he used some word, some Greek word or some shit. I don't know. But like uh, when I was growing up and I remember like the first time I ever heard something that said like or like read the scripture, be ye holy for I am holy. And I was like. It just felt really solemn, right? Like, and then, you know, basically from there, particularly being in fundamentalism, you know, being a Pentecostal, a whole lot of rules, a whole lot of do's and don'ts, you're essentially told that you're, that being holy as God is holy means obeying a list of rules. And that if you don't obey these rules, that are essentially like nitpicked from um, different texts in the Bible. So, like in 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 staunch Pentecostalism and fundamentalism, what that is in staunch Pentecostal fundamentalism, what that is essentially is there's a verse in in, in First Peter that says. Um, let not the outward adorning of a woman be that of gold and pearls and costly array, but let it be that of a meek and a quiet spirit. And so though that's a verse that's that's spoken about repeatedly. Right? So so now your holiness, your being holy as God is holy, is determined on how meek you can be as a woman. You know, it, it's determined by this nitpicked, cherry-picked scripture, this one scripture. Or maybe it's it's a spotty scripture, you know, that says, submit yourselves unto your husband, right? So then they got this verse from here, this verse from here, this verse from here, and they run them all together with no questions. Nobody can challenge it. Nobody can view the text in, in context and, and, and say and look at the customs of that time or anything else. You're not allowed to. What came across the pulpit is, be ye holy for I am holy. What came across the pulpit then was, I suffer not a woman to teach. So if you are a fundamentalist or a literalist, you view now in your view of holiness, any woman that is teaching is outside of God's holiness, therefore outside of the will of God. And is it direct disobedience to the text in many spaces? And there is no begging the question. There is no conversation to be had about that. It is. There is no conversation to be had in fundamentalism about um, if a man lie with a man as he would with a woman, uh, then it's a, an abomination. But there is time and conversation and questioning of the text, depending on what church you're in and what the beliefs are. 
when it comes down to divorce and remarriage. Because the Apostle Paul said, well, Jesus said he hated divorce and that Moses only gave a decree of divorce, divorce because the people's hearts were hardened. And, you know, Jesus essentially approved in separation from adulterers, but he did not necessarily approve divorce because he just said God hates divorce, right? So then you have Paul come along and Paul says, if you get married again, while your spouse, your first spouse still lives, then you're in adultery. And adulterers can't inherit the kingdom of God, Romans 1. So you find that people will then, um, the, the true fundamentalists are not allowing you to get remarried at all. But when people need the text to work for them, when they need their legalistic foundation to, to now bend for them, they find a way to make it bend. Well, the person committed adultery and that automatically annihilates the, the marriage. Um, but, but Paul made it clear. He said it, is this, he said it is the spirit of the Lord, not me, who is saying this to you. That if, if that person who was married before desires to be married again, they must go back to the person they were married to. But we find that there is always a manipulation or a bending of the text when uh, the people want something done. When the people want to get out of a marriage that's driving them crazy. And... The thing is, is I'm not arguing for fundamentalism, but when you are living a life by the law and you're trying to do it line upon line, precept upon precept, you have to reconcile all of these different texts and you've got to make them work as close as you can to your perception of holiness. Which essentially where I came from, the cult that I was in, literally changed his affiliation from being um, Pentecostal, apostolic um, to um, calling himself holiness because he said holiness is in the Bible because the Bible says holiness without which no man will see the Lord. So holiness in his mind is legalistic, fundamentalist. The legalistic and fundamentalist obs observance of his rules that he has collectively gathered from a bunch of cherry-picked verses around the Bible, mostly out of context. And so he's got a list. He actually has bylaws where the bylaws are um, you know, it might say you can't wear short pants. And then they'll quote a scripture from Revelations about those who reveal the nakedness of their flesh. 
you know, like stuff like that. So now you've built this concept of holiness, which essentially revolves around walking a tightrope. And that's important for our topic today because I want to go to, I want us to walk to, um, walk through a few verses of scripture that, that, that helped me when I was trying to come out of legalism because they revealed a lot more to me about the spirit of the text. The energy of the text, the mission of the followers of Christ, the energy of that text beyond legalism and fundamentalism, and uh, which is this sort of devout, guttural, Pharisaic way of viewing religion. But one of the things that we, we notice in the text, right, is that, like, Jesus hated those people. Jesus operated completely opposite of the system. He did not engage them. As a matter of fact, he called them all kinds of names. Like, regarded them as, like, like evil, detestable creatures. And we see that language kind of follow up with, with Paul. Um, with most of the, the texts that are perceived to be written by Paul. So, Romans 14 is always something that's very interesting to me. I, 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 I want to pinpoint for you all that uh, in Romans 14, 13 through 23, uh, Paul is saying... It's giving a real interesting lens. And for somebody who comes out of a staunch uh, Pentecostal existence, baby, this was mind-blowing to me. Because I had heard this used slightly to discuss, you know, when two people have issues over something being wrong or right. But again, looking at the spirit, the energy of this text, he says, let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. I know and I'm convinced on the authority of the Lord Jesus that no food in and of itself is wrong to eat. But if someone believes it is wrong, then for that person it is wrong. If another believer is distressed by what you eat, you are not acting in love if you eat it. Don't let your eating ruin someone for whom Christ died. Then you will not be criticized for doing something you believe is good. And then, you know, he goes on to talk about, you know, living in this life of goodness, having a positive attitude, but, you know, not really allowing people to get tripped up. Like, it, like if you feel, if you're fine, you're fine, right? Like, if you're fine with doing whatever this is and you don't feel any guilt, he goes on and say this, though. Don't tear apart the work of God over what you eat, right? So somebody might feel a kind of way about, like, 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 I don't know. So, so let's just say you got a friend that's a vegan. And 
and, and they're really offended by the fact that you eat meat. But it's really, although it's really none of their business, and they should be minding their own business, what they, what you, what they shouldn't be doing is launching in a sermon to you about why you shouldn't be eating meat. Because it's against God and, and, and all of that, right? Um, because now you as an innocent person, like now you believe that something is wrong that doesn't have anything to do with anything and it's not wrong at all. But now you believe something is wrong and now you love me. But now you're stumbling over the idea of whether or not you should eat meat. And now it's created a genuine conviction in your heart. It's literally put a stumbling block in your path. You were walking in the light of the Lord. Your path was clear. You were cheerful. And somebody came along and told you, if you eat that steak, you're going to hell. And now you're struggling because you never felt a problem eating a steak and you still was in love with Jesus. And so this is something that's very interesting. And Paul says, remember, all foods are acceptable, but it is wrong to eat something if it makes another person stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else if it might cause another believer to stumble. You may believe that there's nothing wrong with what you're doing, but keep it between yourself and God. Blessed are those who do not feel guilty for doing something they have decided is right. But if you have doubts about whether or not you should eat something, you are sinning if you go ahead and do it. But you are not following your convictions. If you do anything you believe is not right, you are sinning. And so now we are defining how we're going to think about morals. You know, because who really gets to define for us what is and what is not okay? And oftentimes in these institutions, we are bound by the libidinal cathexis um, that the institution holds that mirrors the institution of the family. Where, you know, you ever see that thing in like, in, in like Fundy World where there's like God and the man and the woman and then the children are beneath them? It's like the church really emulates that same uh, thing. And, and you develop these cross connections with people, with the people in the pews. And they are placed there to keep you in line, essentially. The goal is that groupthink will keep you moving in the same direction as the group. But here we have all these people that might have very, very different ideas of what's right or what's wrong. And I remember a part of like Fundy, like life is literally having people walk up to you and tell you that the necklace you have on is sinful. Or the fact that you have on a ring, a gold ring, you have to remove it. Or the fact that you have facial hair, you have to shave it. The fact that you have on open toe shoes, you need to wear closed toe shoes. Because it's God's will. Right? It's 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 in that line of things 
that 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 we have called holy and unholy. We've built a tightrope. And now we're telling you all the things you need to do and not do so that you can stay afloat on this rope. But the thing about it is that when you see the tightrope, ultimately, the longer you stay in fundamentalist religion, the more you realize nobody is capable of, of, of walking that tightrope. Everybody's falling off, some to their own deaths, but nobody is capable of walking that tightrope. The person who brags and boasts the loudest about walking the tightrope will always inevitably fail. Because it's impossible to walk the tightrope. Because Paul in discussion of the law says, when I would do good, evil is always present with me. The whole point of the law itself being fulfilled in, 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 in the, the New Testament is that we are not stuck recreating systems that look just like the old one. So here we are. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. We're going to move on. We're going to move on. We're going to move on. We only have a short time, and I promised the people I wouldn't be before you long on today. So, one of the, the things that really, two books that really helped me, me and my friend, um, were both being liberated from fundamentalist, apostolic, Pentecostal doctrine, and and we were trying to get free, and one of the things that we did to break the bonds of legalism is really study Colossians and really study Galatians because Paul really talks about a lot of this. Um, and I talked about this in the episode, I believe, with um, Reclaiming the Garden a little bit. But let, let's go to Colossians uh, 2 and 16. And, 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 and it says, so don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink, we're back here again, okay? For not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. For these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is, is, is that reality. Don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or the worship of angels, saying they've had visions and, and, you know, he goes on to call those people proud and he goes on to say um, that they're ultimately working against the productivity of, of the work that he is trying to do into bring, bringing people into the new covenant, right? And, and, and he says, uh, you have died with Christ. Basically, you know, the whole, um, you've been buried with Christ in baptism and you've risen with him a new person, right? So you've been cleaned, you've been washed, you've been, you're a new person now because your faith is not in an outside thing. Uh, like the law essentially is something that's not real, but your faith is essentially supposed to be in Jesus, something that Paul believes is real, right? Um, and so he says, don't handle, don't taste, don't touch, such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. These are really good points. And this is how I kind of want you to look at the text. 
because I used to have a lot of, um, especially because I'm autistic and everything is, you know, legalism essentially really pulled to me. It also pulled me apart and shredded me. But I was essentially viewing the text as so literal in every way um, that it was destroying my self-confidence. Um, it was destroying the way uh, I saw myself and, and my self-esteem. And it was not healthy for me. Um, but it wasn't until I started revisiting these scriptures outside of that lens. Um, and I started to really ask questions. You know, think of reading it like a regular book. And so we're at verse 22. Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. Colossians 2 and 23. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline. But they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. We talked about Paul before. Um... And one of the things I want to revisit is that Paul, in a very similar way to me, the law was ripping him to shreds. And Paul took that attitude essentially and, 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 and even though, you know, and then he started ripping his church to shreds. He started killing people. And then he has this whole Damascus moment where I think he realizes he can find some liberty in this Christ. He could find some freedom in this Christ. Freedom that he would never get in the institution. Trying to follow the law line upon line precept upon precept, what we have now is Paul walking the tightrope. And Paul goes off so much throughout Romans, throughout, especially Romans, you know, in the Corinthians, he's going off about the way the law affected his life and tormented him. You know, and, and, and there's a lot of language he uses here, and he's saying, yeah, there's a lot of rules over there and it causes you to punish your body and it causes you to, to, to punish yourself and shame yourself. And they have all these, you know, so I'm seeing a couple things here. Paul talks about the observing a feast, holy days, and there's a lot of strict things around those observations, right? And so all those feasts and, and holy days and things, and there's a lot of strict observation of it. So it, because there's so much freedom in this version of Christianity compared to that, like, you know, version of Judaism, the people are like, well, who really got it right? Oftentimes, many times, many of us, um, are really groomed in a type of self-loathing. self-hating my righteousness is as filthy rags and my God is dangerous and if I don't repent if I don't cry and weep 
in worship about how unworthy I am, then he will never come to save me. And I will not be in heaven with him. And I will once and for all be condemned as an awful person. And the foundation of our faith is in that. So this is our God. Our God, our version of God is tied to misery and shame and self-loathing. All that we have and are is about bowing and being subservient to a fucking narcissist who literally gets pleasure out of our suffering, but doesn't get pleasure out of our suffering, but cares about us, but doesn't care about us enough that he wouldn't create us to throw us in hell. But Jesus came to save us, but he didn't come to save us all because he only came to save those who would accept him and believe in his resurrection. But those who chose not to, even though they're supposed to have heard the gospel, because everybody's supposed to have heard the gospel. And and, and, and that's just, it has to be that way because everybody's going to hear it and everybody has heard it. And the thing is, is that's what they're going to be able to judge you off of in the end. And this is the God you are supposed to worship. And this is the God that has supposedly created you because that God also wanted you to dwell in self-loathing and shame. But no, 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 no. You get to dwell in happiness that you're saved because the joy of the Lord is your strength. So because you are saved from a hell that your God has made or is going to make depending on the doctrine you believe you can rejoice in the fact that your God has created an antidote for a problem he created <laughs> created the poison allowed the poison to go along allowed the earth to be what it is created the people and then blame the creation because he wanted to use them like some sort of allegorical Plato's cave. So this is why it's important to rethink the identity of God and what that's going to mean for you. And for me, it was imperative to do that while making sense. For me, the time for speaking in tongues and rolling on the ground and, you know, self-loathing worship and um, loud worship and, you know, all of that and, 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 and miracles and hell and, and all of that. My worship experience didn't need to include any of that. Because what is real for me 
is the ever-living impact of love. Because when you know love, when you've come to know and understand love, for love, connection, strength, divine intercommunication with those who are like you, caring for and care of, being in community with, that is divine. <laughs> that is holy. That is what I believe this God would have wanted. Uh, Eric Fromm says that love is the will to extend oneself for the purpose of nurturing one's own or another's spiritual growth. Love is as love does. Love is an act of will, namely both an intention and in action. Will also implies choice. We do not have to love. We choose to love. This is from Bell Hooks All About Love. We don't have to love. We choose to love. Love is a verb. It's an action. It's felt. It's seen. It's known. Love is something that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt. When you know it. So, when you are acting in love, when you are in love, you are in God. When you are acting outside of the confines of that, then you are in sin. And so, if you are acting in shame, shame of yourself and shame of others, you are in sin. You are not in love. But learning to think outside of these guidelines and these ideas that that come to drive you insane that come to drive you crazy i'm here to tell the people on today the misuse of scripture without historical as well as historical cultural and spiritual context, spirit being energy, the force, the known beyond the known, that spiritual context is what? Is what? You're pointing a bunch of verses to me at people who are trying to figure it out. You know how I know they're trying to figure it out and, and, and as well as the people who arranged it are trying to figure it out Cause none of it don't match and it ain't in sync. They left us with a thousand questions and a th and thousands of errors. They don't know. They were trying to figure it out. They were arguing about this and about that because they didn't know. So they were questioning these ideas and they were, you, you see a, 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 a lot of, some of this stuff is Paul's theories. He had very interesting theories in, 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 in his comparison uh, in the way that he desired to link um, Old Testament text to his Christ experience. 
And Paul had a lot of interesting theories about that. You know, Paul was very, he, very knowledgeable in, in the Old Testament. And so he, he had a, a, a way of linking the Old Testament texts to the, you know, and really believing in that, that, that this is all, a, you know, the Old Testament is really one big buildup or one big form of shadow for the promise of Christ and the new way that's to come. But now we got to look at time. We got to look at historical context. We got to look at the ways that history has changed. We got to look at science. We've got to ask our questions about the probability of actual miracles. And we got to figure out what all of that means for us. And we got to figure out if two fish, if five fish and two loaves of bread, or however that goes, we got to figure out if it's not literal, do you still have your love, your loving salvation experience? Is your faith limited on all of these so-called miracles being literal. Because if it is, then you're going to have a problem when you run into science. When you really begin to ask questions with the information and the knowledge we have now. And what we know. The Bible is written from the context of a three-tier universe. We now know that we do not live in a three-tier universe. That, that the, the, the universe is way more than the grave below, heaven above, the sky above, and the earth here. We also know that the sun, the scriptures that Joshua made the sun stand still. Joshua made the sun stand still. The sun is already still because the world revolves around the sun. The earth is moving. The sun is not. Not in the way in which that, that, that text tries to make it look, right? And so we, we, we have to begin to challenge these things. I'm, gonna move, I'm moving on, I'm moving on, I'm moving on uh, because I'm already, I'm already over my time, but I've got a word on today. Come on, somebody. We're going to Galatians. We're going to Galatians, the third chapter. Amen, amen. And so... Paul says in Galatians 3 and 10, but those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under his curse. For the scriptures say, cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in God's book of law. So it is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. Galatians 3 and 11, so it is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. And like I said earlier, Paul calls it a shadow. A shadow of, 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 of what's to come. Not the real deal. He also calls it slavery. We're going to keep going. It is through faith that a righteous person has life. This way of faith is very different from the way of the law, which says it is through obeying the law that a person has life. And, and you know, Paul uh, go, 
the text goes on to say that Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. He calls the law a curse. And basically says that Christ became the curse because the scripture says that cursed is everyone who hung cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. So he says Christ became the curse. That that curse of the law. Again, this is Paul's theory here. Um, but yeah, he, he believed that the law is cursed. Why wouldn't he? He spent most of his life trying to live up to it and couldn't. And then and then gets to the point where he's like, it's all a lie. <laughs> you know, and, and, and you know, he gets to this point where he believes he's found the freedom. Um, his freedom. Because Paul needed the law to be cursed and nailed to a tree. So that he could mentally free himself from the very thing that caused him bondage his entire life. He would have grown up in the temple being convicted and taught the law. Being abused and God knows what else happened in the temple. We do know historically that Paul was a real person. So who knows the, the torture that Paul went through? In the in the institution, and and we know some of it after the fact. Paul just enjoyed a hard life. <laughs> Paul enjoyed a hard life, and Paul really genuinely believed that the world was coming to an end much sooner than it did, and deprived himself of a lot of things, and really sought to deprive for the church to follow him in. In not enjoying life because he believed that if you enjoyed life too much, then you would not inherit the kingdom of God. And we see that continuously throughout the text. Paul never really got free. He only he only reformed it. And that's the thing with a lot of this stuff. And this is what I meant before when I said the church is jumping onto the deconstruction bandwagon. Because it only wants, it only seeks to reform the things that already are. It still wants to use those things as a foundation, as a building block for the future. So it wants to use all of the old things as a way to, um, kind of build a stepping stone to what they believe will be new it will never be new i don't care how many tattoos they got cargo shorts they wear while they preach in boat shoes with legs and arms out i don't care how fine these preachers are they still hoodwinked and bamboozled and they're gonna hoodwink and bamboozle you i'm telling you i've tried it so you don't have to i've gone to all the churches so you don't have to the strictest to the loosest ones, honey. And I'm telling you now, they're all the same. They're all trying to use that old thing to get to a new thing. Meanwhile, the folks aren't really, really getting free. Let's have another conversation about the law. So, 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 so in Galatians 3, uh, 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 Paul says, let me put it another way the law was our guardian until christ came 
it protected us. So that's a that's a that's a strong word. But but Paul grew up loving the word, had to love love the word. David said, "Do I delight in thy law day and night?" Come on, somebody. Paul delighted in the word, delighted in it so much it wrapped around him like a snake and almost killed him. <laughs> and really never let him go, essentially. But, you know, he delighted himself in it. Thy word becomes a lamp unto my feet. You know, that's what the text says. So they wrapped up in the laws. Very difficult when you have been intentionally indoctrinated. Come on, we gotta get through. We gotta get through this. We gotta get through this. We gotta get through it. I got, I got, I got a couple more for you. We might have to turn this into a part two because I've got so much more. Um. Uh. Uh. But I'm, 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 I'm give this next one. Uh, uh. Paul, Galatians four. He he says. Uh, you know, and 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 and, and I know I talked about cherry picking um, earlier, but I, I wanted to, and I know it kind of seems like this is what I'm doing, like I'm trying to pull the text. No, a great deal of these, the whole I I was studying the whole books. I'm not going to do a, a Bible study on Colossians for you all because that's not what we do here. But when I was getting free. These are the things that stuck out to me. But both of these books are books where Paul's kind of doing some control damage, some damage control, because the churches he started are now, he felt, getting bamboozled by other people into Judaism. And, and he felt really like they were going backwards. You know, and so that's why he's using so much strong language. So both of these books are very similar and they serve a, a the same purpose, which is like, let me re-educate you on why this is not what you want to do. And so uh, Galatians 4, uh, 9 says, uh, so now that you know God, or should I say now that God knows you, why do you want to go back again and become slaves once more to the weak and useless spiritual principles of this world? He called those, he called the law, the spiritual principles of this world. Essentially, he's, he's calling that way of life. He thinks it's meagerly now. He's like, this is useless. And I don't understand why you all want to go back to doing that stuff. Cutting your cutting your foreskin off, obeying all these things, these holidays, these festivals. I don't understand why you want to do it. Cause it was it was driving me crazy. And I don't understand why you all would do it. But we see these legalistic preachers come and make up a list of their own, bylaws of their own, doctrines of their own, where they have now put a stumbling block in the way of the people by giving them all this stuff that they shouldn't be doing. And aligning all these things to them, making, making, making the idea of having a relationship with the God of their understanding feel like a punishment. So, 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 Paul, uh, now we're in Galatians 4 and uh, 21. He says, tell me who you want to, 
who tell me you who want to live under the law do you know what the law actually says and then he starts to go into reminding them uh about you know these 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 differences and he wants the people to know that like the law is slavery the law equals slavery he compares those those serving under the law to 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 Ishmael and Hagar like this the, the dirty slave woman and her child like y'all are blessed but y'all ain't blessed you know they were cast out essentially because the promised child was coming and um and so he believes that the new people are promised you know because they have believed by faith without all of those traditions and rituals that Paul really just seen as, as burdensome when we're on to our last segment which is Galatians 5 and this was so important for me to get to and 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 we're gonna wrap it up I'm sorry for this episode being a little bit longer but it's not that much longer we're gonna wrap it up but Galatians 5 you know Paul says so Christ has truly set us free now make sure that you stay free don't get tied up in the slavery of the law this this gets real good to me if you are counting on circumcision to make you right with god then christ will be of no benefit to you i'll say it again if you are trying to find favor with god by being circumcised you must obey every regulation in the law the whole law of moses and if you are trying to make yourselves right with god by keeping the law you have been cut off from christ and you have fallen away from God's grace. Are you in the grace? Come on, somebody. Are you still in the grace? Or is the shame of not being able to run a holy race? Is it keeping you up at night? Is it bothering you? Paul goes on to say in Galatians 5 and 5, but we who live by the Spirit eagerly want to eagerly want to receive by faith the the righteousness of God that He has promised us. There was no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. What is important is faith. So Paul's really all about this faith thing. Because the moment you start doing stuff in order to 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 count up your works to please this God. You've missed the mark. You've missed the point. But they told us we had to do a whole bunch of stuff in order to in order to be right with God. And and literally made us feel like the same God uh, would not love us and did not have love for us if we didn't do these things. And that if we were found doing other things, then the same God was willing and ready to throw us, to judge us harshly and throw us into the lake of fire where we would burn for an eternity. 
For you have been called to live in freedom, he says. Don't use your freedom. No, 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 no. He says you've been called to live in freedom. But then he says, for the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. So very, very interesting. We see that um, as a repeat of something that Jesus had said earlier that Paul would have had no, no, no clue about. So very interesting. You, you can think it revelation or not. Um, but in, in 5 and 19, this is, this is good. In, in, uh, actually, I'm, I'm going to, you know, Paul kind of gives a list of things, you know, that he describes as uh, desires of a sinful nature. He says the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living this sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul is all about that life. And so he says, you know, love Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. You know, and this is this is what Paul is 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 trying to get the people to understand. But so I'm I'm gonna end this episode and asking you some questions. You know, so I'm, I'm going back to my original statement, which was this video that I was watching online on, on TikTok where the lady had commented and the guy was replying to her comment. She said, this is not of holiness. And so he said this. Holiness is horizontal. Remember, I was talking about that connection earlier. People make it vertical. But hor holiness is horizontal. And then he asks, how do you treat people? Are you trustworthy? Do you keep your word? Do you steal? Do you harm others in word or deed? Are you bringing good to those around you? And then he goes on to describe the fruits of the spirit, which I just, which I just mentioned. Love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. These are the focus. These are the things we, we want to be focused on. Vertical holiness removes your neighbor and puts the institution in the place of God by way of a list of do's or don'ts. But horizontal holiness is all about loving and expressing all those good things. And, and, and that's, that's a way that, that I'm willing to redefine all of this. Thank you for listening. Once again, this has been Surviving Fundamentalism, the podcast where if your God ain't bigger than your Bible, then you probably will have a problem with this shit. 
And um, my name is the Right Reverend Richie X, and I will see you next time.